Well, as Adam said this morning, is Advent. Uh, it marks this, uh, the beginning of this Advent season. Uh, consists of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so you go Christmas, you go back four Sundays, and that's the beginning of Advent. A- Advent basically means coming. That, that, that's what the word means. And so uh, we're celebrating the coming of Jesus. He's already come once uh, as a baby and, and grew up and then went to the cross and then went to the grave and then rose from the grave. And, and so we celebrate that. We remember that, that first coming. But at this point in history, we stand, we also look forward to his second coming when he's going to return. Now, that's one of the reasons I love Advent is because in one sense, Christmas is a time of, of, of focusing on that first coming. But I think a, 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 as a, a believer at this vantage point in history, to stop at that point, we're really selling ourselves short. Because there's not just the hope that we find in the first coming of Jesus, that he died for our sins and, and, and makes a path, makes a way for us to be with God in heaven. But the fact that he's coming again to bring uh, an end to all sin and, and to once and for all bring us together with God. And so to miss out on that part, I think we're, it, it, it's a shame. And so it's so exciting to be uh, together here where we can celebrate this Advent season. I, I need to put out there, too, that the Advent is a tool. There's nothing special about it as far as saying, okay, we've celebrated Advent, now we've arrived, at a, at, we've arrived as a church. No, a- Advent is merely a tool. In the same way that we would say Christmas season is a time to turn our focus towards Jesus, to turn our focus on specifically uh, his birth and the, the nativity scene. Because honestly, if we look at Scripture, we'll see different hints and clues that tell us that uh, most likely Jesus was not born on December 25th. Actually, it would have been somewhere between May or September. Uh, you look at the, the shepherds were out with their flocks and a few other clues that we can pick up on. You say, well, is it, is it wrong that we're celebrating on, on the 25th? Well, I think we're kind of redeeming culture by saying, hey, this is a tool we can use to turn our focus to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so in the same way, we can use Advent as a time to say, you know what, turn our focus towards Jesus. Anything that says, hey, turn to Jesus, man, I am all about that. That is a cool thing, as long as it's Jesus we're looking at, not that tool. So that's what this Advent, uh, these Advent candles are about. Uh, there's four candles around the rim and then one in the middle. The one in the middle stands for the Christ candle. We'll light that on Christmas Eve as we head into Christmas Day. But each week we're going to light a new candle. And um, throughout church history there's been all kinds of different uh, uh, readings and different uh, symbolisms behind each of the candles. And like I said, there's, there's no uh, scriptural mandate that says, here's the order you light the Advent candles in and here's the passages that go. That, that, that's not, that doesn't exist. It's a simply way that we're saying turn our focus to Jesus. And so uh, the one we're going to light today is going to represent hope. Uh, and, the, and the coming week's preparation is to prepare, to celebrate the coming of our Lord. Uh, uh, joy, just excitement, that will be the pink one, excitement uh, of, of Jesus coming. God with us, the love that that represents. And then, like I said, the, the fifth one, the white one in the middle, will be the Christ candle. And so let's uh, light this candle right now. And as we do, uh, I just encourage you to think on the hope that we have in Jesus. The hope that he has come, and the hope that he's coming again. <clears throat> we said in John 14, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, uh, um, I, soon I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back and, and get you, to bring you with me. We see in Acts 1 and 1 Thessalonians 4, all the passages that just God's call say, I will come back. I will come back. And so we, uh, as Christians, we look to that and we hope that, that, that we find hope in that truth. 
If you're here this morning and you're like, Steve, okay, I understand what you're saying about the Advent can, uh, candles, but I don't find my hope in Jesus. I, I don't know him as, as Savior and Lord. You're, you're in a good place here to, to be here this morning because we're going to talk about that. We're, we're going to look at how do we know we can place our hope in Jesus. We're, we're, you know, we're going to look at that as we look at this concept of, of Advent. Specifically, we're going to jump into our carol series. Said I'm said we're looking at carols this week. We finished our Overwhelm series. And uh, we're going to kind of compare and contrast. We're going to look at these carols that, in essence, really are worship songs. You know, these aren't going to be the, the jingle bells and the Santa Claus is coming to town. But it's interesting, if you were to turn on the radio at this time of year, you'll get those along with the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and there's such a difference. One is about a guy in a big red suit and, and flying reindeer. The other one's about a child that was born of a virgin that laid down his life for us and defeated death so that we could be with God. God came to be with us so that we could be with him. So we're going to look at those songs. We're going to use those. We're not going to necessarily just look at those. We're going to see the scriptures behind them and really dig into it and see these songs. Hopefully see them afresh for the worship songs that they are. And so uh, today, I, I just want to share one of my all-time favorite uh, Christmas carols. It's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So it's going to play on the screen here behind me. Come to the old 
chorus of that song, am I the only one or does anybody else just kind of have this sense of, of just joy and excitement and anticipation well up inside? You just say, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And then it kind of comes back into this somber, uh, almost kind of uh, contemplative uh, uh, tone to it. And you just say, rejoice, rejoice. Yeah, I love that song. And the more I dug in to kind of find out where it came from and how we uh, got to receive it, and it just it, it gets more and more exciting. So I want to share something with you here this morning. Uh, the lyrics for this song, uh, we believe they date back to somewhere around the 8th century. And what would, would happen is there were these uh, prayers that would be used, again, just man putting things together to say, here's what God's given us in his word. Uh, we want to uh, um, figure out how we live that out. And so one of the things is that some people put together some, some prayers that were built on God's word. And uh, specifically the ones you see in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, would have been the evening prayers that we've been saying uh, the seven days before Christmas. And so, not saying, I'm sorry, we've been read. So uh, each verse would be read, you know, one, at that point they weren't verses, they were prayers. We'll be going, you know, the, from the 17th, then one on the 18th, on the 19th, until you get to the 23rd. There are variations, you know, today if you, if you were to Google, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you're going to find some slight variations as, you know, it's been... Uh, put out there and more and more people have redone it but if you go back to those initial ones you're going to see that uh, they were those prayers the music is believed to be somewhere about the 12th to 15th centuries there's some conflicting uh, uh, understanding of where that came from but pretty much we can know that it came out of just Christian history whether it was out of a monastery or just uh, a service where it's like hey here's a song that's known and it was a rhythm that fit well uh, that basically was eventually put to those prayers, and that happened right around the 19th century, where we, we kind of finally have this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, where all the pieces are brought together. Uh, it was by a, a priest by the name John Mason Neely, and basically, uh, he translated the lyrics from Latin into English, which, from what I understand, was really pretty easy for him. He, he could uh, speak about 20 different languages, which I, I totally admire. I struggle with one. Um, God just gives God his glory, because if he can use me to preach, then way to go. That's, that's a uh, powerful God that we serve. Um, so that's look at the lyrics for 8th century. The music was 20, 12th, to 5th, or 12th to 15th century. And then the, the song came together about the 19th century. And one of the things I love about this song is the intentionality of the verses. Pretty much each verse is, is built on some prophecies uh, coming out of Isaiah as well as other scriptures that support it and back it up. And uh, so you're going to see in each uh, verse, you should see uh, the first one come up behind me. Three things happen in just about every single one of these verses or prayers, whatever way you want to look at it. First, it reveals a name for the Messiah. Uh, in the first one, we see Emmanuel, God with us. We see a name for the Messiah, who we know now to be Jesus. Um, back in the time when Isaiah would have prophesied about it, he wouldn't have known that name. He just would have known the name Emmanuel. You also see the condition of man. We see in, in, in this first one, uh, man is captive. We're enslaved. We're in bondage. We need someone to come and free us. And if you go through the other verses, you, you see a similar sense of uh, the condition of man. But you also see uh, a hope uh, of what we have in the Messiah. That in the Messiah, in this Emmanuel, in this God with us, that we have hope, we have ransom, that we would be freed from our current conditions. 
And each, each verse kind of goes, follows through that. You have, uh, uh, O come, O come, uh, O wisdom. I, I love this one because we see in, in John that, that Jesus is the word. Uh, it comes from the very mouth of God and, and the sense of wisdom and understanding being spoken and, and Jesus being spoken. You see his wisdom. If you look into the, the text and the prophecy of that uh, tied to that verse, we see that we are lost. That's the condition of man. The Messiah will teach us the way. He will show us the way and reveal that to us. We see another verse. It's called, O Lord, Adonai. Saying that Jesus is Lord and Judge. We see a call to root of Jesse. You may or may, or may not be familiar with what that is. What that's referring to is, if you're familiar with the King David from biblical history, Jesse was the father of David. So it's about the, the root of Jesse. Basically, as we're going to hear in a little bit, uh, the, the kingdom of God, the nation of God here on earth through the Israelites came to a point in their history where they were kind of uh, slowly being cut down and, and were, were uh, a shadow of the size of what they used to be. We could say it was like a tree that was cut down to simply a root. And so that's the, the root of Jesse. This remnant remains, and Jesus is from that line of David. Uh, in a sense, the condition of man is that we are dying, and yet the Messiah brings victory over the grave. We see a key of David, similar to the whole line of David, but it's also the, this key of David. is that The kingdom of God is going to come through the line of David. The key holder is the one who has the, the, the right as far as entryway into that kingdom. In the same way, that's Jesus. He is, he is the ruler of the kingdom of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. We see O'Day Spring. This one I love because you ever just sing a song or you're familiar with a song, but you never actually stop to think about what some of the words mean? Well, this song is a song, and, and like, I don't even know what I'm singing. And so I, I, I try to stop and slow down a little bit. And there's this concept of day spring, uh, it, it's, it's, or, or morning stars. It's the sun rising. It's that break from, from darkness into light. I kind of had this really weird thought of almost like a science, a science contraption that was actually this large spring that sprung forward light, you know. Jesus, I don't know. It still makes sense. I mean, Jesus, you know, built this and created this and brings forth the light. So he's an actual spring, you could say, or just this, this dawning of, of light. I'll, I'll keep the, my, my twist of science out of uh, the message here this morning. <laughs> um, we see a, a, a king of nations, that Jesus will be is a king of kings. We are a, a divided people. Even within governments, we are divided. But God will unite us. The Messiah will unite us. And then we get to the last verse. Uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. We are enslaved. We are captive. But the Messiah will ransom us and free us and bring us freedom. And what's so cool about these seven is if you, it, it, it creates a Latin anagram. You know, that is where you, you know, take the first letter of each word and it kind of spells something out. It spells out arrow cro uh, arrow cross, which means tomorrow I will come. And so they, they have this understanding that as they were reading these, each day leading up to Christmas, as you would finish this last one, you'd have this heart and this mindset of tomorrow I will come. As they remember, this is the coming of Jesus that we are celebrating. It communicates a, a longing for the Messiah and a rejoicing in the hope of him. And so as you look at this, I think it helps us understand, I think, why the tune is so fitting is because it really does have that sense of, of mourning, of, of, of a sadness and a sorrow. And then you get to that rejoice, and it just overwhelms you with joy because we see the condition of man, and it brings sorrow, and it brings sadness. But then we see who our Messiah is, and we can yell, rejoice, rejoice. 
And so what I want to do here with the rest of our time together is I want to look at the name used for Jesus in each of those seven verses and pretty much every single place in Scripture. Let's think of every single place we can find those names and really spend some time digging into each one of those uh, passages. I mean, it's going to take a while, so if you're a note taker, get some extra paper. Um, if you could help me out when the 11 o'clock service shows up, just kind of get them up to speed. Um, I, I'm just messing. We're not going to do that. Um, I, I do think it's funny whenever pastors joke about time um, because we, we're just going to preach till we're done. It really doesn't matter what time it is. This watch doesn't even work. So I just like the way it looks. <laughs> what we are going to do, though, is, is we're going to look at this chorus of rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, Israel. I think the rejoice part is pretty self-explanatory. I think we all have an understanding of what it means to rejoice. I really want to hone in and focus in on Emmanuel, this word that means God with us. You may see it spelled uh, Emmanuel with an E or Emmanuel with an I. Same word, different spelling. Um, doesn't matter how you spell it there. So what we're going to do is we're going to see that there's three times in Scripture that we see this term Emmanuel. So we are going to unpack those and, and dig through those, but it's really only going to be, even those three of them, there's only going to be two places that we're going to look. The first is in Isaiah. Um, you see it used twice as part of kind of the same story and the same thought, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 8. Um, and then we see it again in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, at the first advent of Jesus, where we have this nativity story, the story uh, of Mary and Joseph and an angel appearing to them saying, you will be with child. You will conceive, uh, and, and it, you will name him Emmanuel, God with us. And interesting enough, that the passage in Matthew 1 is actually in reference to Isaiah. And so the better we can understand this passage in, in Isaiah and the hope that comes from this, this promise of God with us, I think the, the better we can understand what's going on in Matthew, and the better we can, ex- we can understand what God is calling, to, uh, calling us to here this morning. Um, with that said, I wanna, let's, let's read together Isaiah 7, 14. Um, if you have the, the Pew Bibles, it's page 572. Um, you can grab one of those. It will be on the screen uh, in front of me and behind me. Um, it is there now. Cool. Uh, if you could, let's stand and uh, just we're going to read the Word of God just with energy and excitement. Uh, if you need some inspiration, let's just kind of think about the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel song. Think about that. Rejoice. Rejoice. Because this is, this is the promise that Isaiah is, telling, is giving us. So we're going to hear really how bad things were when the prophet Isaiah came and said, Behold, this is what's coming. So let's read that together. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Awesome. Thank you. You have a seat. So we'll look at three things here. What did Emmanuel... God with us is what it means. What did Emmanuel, God with us, mean to the people uh, at the time of Isaiah? What did Emmanuel, God with us, mean to the people at the time of Matthew? What does Emmanuel, God with us, mean to us here today? Right, I think we're, we're going to see some neat things as we walk that road here together. All right, so chapter uh, 7 and 8 of Isaiah is where we see this first introduction of Emmanuel. And uh, to kind of give you some background on what's going on, uh, right now Ahaz is the king of Judah. Uh, some real quick biblical history. You had, uh, think of back to the Ten, Ten Commandments. It seems to be, you know, a, a point that everyone remembers, maybe from the Charlton Heston movie, where you saw God's people being freed through Moses uh, out of Egypt. 
So you have the people of God are in Egypt, they're slaves, and all of a sudden God uses Moses and he frees his people. They cross the Red Sea, the sea closes in on the Egyptian army, and, and now they're, they're free and no one's chasing them. So after that, they wander the desert for 40 years and God feeds them. Manna from heaven, food is there every morning, there's water from a rock, and God takes care of his people, God feeds them. God leads them in victory uh, as they conquer the promised land, and gives them a land to call their own, to call home, and to settle and become, this, and continue to grow as a great nation. Now all of a sudden there's a change in the story. And there's always been a time where uh, you have throughout Israel's history, the people of God, uh, uh, the nation of God, you have this point where it's like, all right, we're following God. Okay, we forget all the things he did. Okay, we're in sin and we're not following God. Something brings us back. We're following God. All right, then we sin. Now we're not following God. Okay, then something brings us back. And you get this, this constant cycle. And, and, and so sure enough, to, to add to that cycle, that they get to the promised land and they get finally get to a place of rest and they say, we want a king. And God says, no, you don't. I'm your king. Trust me, you don't want a king. They say, we want a king. He says, no, you don't. I'll be your king. They say, we want a king. Everyone else has a king. We want to be like everyone else. God finally says, okay, here's your king, and gives them a king. You get about three generations, and after about three generations of kings, all of a sudden, it just begins to fall apart. So much so that they can't agree on who they follow, and the nation, Israel, divides into two nations. So now you have Israel to the north, which is the majority of the tribes that originally made up Israel, and you have Judah to the south which is just the tribe of Judah, and eventually the tribe of Benjamin comes in there as well. And so now you have a divided kingdom. So if you ever heard Israel and Judah, that's what that's talking about. Originally it was Israel, and they divided after they were disagreeing on who had the right to the throne because they had these issues with these kings. Ahaz is the king of Judah. Ahaz is a terrible king. You could say, you know, uh, whenever you're speaking about a king over the people of God, and you say they were a bad king or a terrible king, typically what that's referring to is whether they followed God or not. And Ahaz did not follow God. He set up altars to, to pagan gods right alongside the altar uh, to the God Almighty, to the Most High God. He actually sacrificed one of his sons to a pagan god. There was, uh, uh, the Assyrians were kind of, uh, they, they were coming to power and they were uh, beginning to be a threat upon uh, the people of God. And so uh, Israel... Um, and, and Syria, not Assyria, but Syria, uh, kind of had this uh, anti-Assyria thing going on, and they were partnering together. And, and Judah never really fully got on board, uh, partly because Ahaz kind of took this pro-Assyria standpoint, and so he was kind of for the, these foreign invaders. And sure enough, uh, uh, that inability to take a stand against them um, kind of cut ties between Israel and Judah. Assyria comes in and kind of wipes out uh, Israel and, and exiles the people and then eventually kind of uh, has some issues with uh, Ahaz as well. And so basically Ahaz did nothing good for the nation of God. Now imagine you're just an Israelite. At this point you could say a, a Jew because you were part of Judah. What have you seen? You see now you're freed from Egypt, you wander the desert 40 years, led by God, conquered the promised land, led by God, established kings, you know, and, and then you just saw this downward spiral. Each king after the next just leading you more and more into chaos and, and further away from God. If you were alive at that point, you would say, my world is broken. My world is a mess. What about all these promises of God that we'll be this great nation? 
And here we are, just a stump. We used to be a massive, beautiful tree. Now we're just a stump that's left. And it's at this point in history, when the prophet of God, Isaiah, speaks into the life of God's people and says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with them. They've witnessed the brokenness of their leaders. They've witnessed the brokenness of their fellow man. They've witnessed uh, their nation being cut down to a stump. Now we get this hope of God with us. Do you begin to understand why the Jews were so expectant of a Messiah? If you, if you fast forward to the time when, when Jesus comes on the scene, the culture of the Jews is they were longing for this Messiah to come. Because they had been through such turmoil and such brokenness. I wonder if, if we today long for the second coming, the return of Christ, in the same way that the Jews longed for the first coming. They were holding on to hope that God was with them. They, they were longing for that. You know, as I, as I thought about that, a question kind of came to my mind. And i got to ask this of you, too. Have you ever wondered if God's abandoned you? Have you ever wondered if you're on your own? I've got to believe the people of God at this point in history, they probably felt that way. They probably felt like, where is God? How can I, the world is broken and falling apart. Where are you, God? Have you abandoned us? You know, there's a time in high school where um, I was part of a, a, a ministry that we went on a bunch of different trips. And um, from that point in, in history, I, I'd kind of say it was just for the fun of it. I can look back and see how God grew me and some of the neat opportunities through that. But one of those such trips was to go caving. And so if you've ever been caving, um, basically you find a hole in the ground and you crawl in it. And uh, it's a, a big enough hole you can walk around in it. And typically there's some kind of water source that runs through it that's helped to carve the cave, and it's a, a nice standard, like roughly 58 to 62, I don't remember what it is, uh, degrees. Um, so it's never going to be too cold or too hot. It's always going to be standard. Um, but it is pitch black, dark. There is no sunlight. The second you get away from that opening that led you into the cave, as soon as you get around a corner, there's no light coming in. And so we have these headlamps on, and we have flashlights, and we're going into this cave, and we're getting deeper and deeper into this cave. We get to the point where the guide's like, okay, this is the point where all the, the, the weak teens turn around, the ones who are just here for the afternoon. Do you want to go on? Well, what's ahead? There's a pool ahead that you can go swimming, fully submerged in, in the middle of this cave. We're game. Let's do it. So we get on this point. We have to crawl, army crawl. And it's one of those things, because the, the, the cave's above us and below us, we're army crawling through this crack. And, and, and the water's there as well. I mean, not like we're like, you know, going like that to take a breath. I mean, it's not, you can breathe just fine, but you're crawling through water. And we, we get to the, the, the deepest part that he's going to take us in the cave. And there's this, this beautiful spring, and we, we jump in, we swim, we spend a little time there. Obviously, you all have headlamps, and so there's a certain amount of light in there. And uh, we're getting ready to go back to the beginning. And uh, because we went further in, it's going to take longer to get out. We still have to get out at the same time so we can catch our ride home. So it's kind of one of those, all right, we're going to have to double time it now because we had this little extra excursion. And all right, yeah, we're all gung-ho. We're good to go. We got in a line. You, you kind of stay in a line to make sure you don't lose anyone. And um, I was talking to the leader who was in the back, and we, we kind of had a, a, a friendship. And I'm like, hey, would you mind if I got to you know, be the last guy? I'd be the one that had that responsibility of picking up the rear to make sure we didn't leave anyone behind. Sure, you got it, Steve. 
And so I'm like, all right, let's go. So we let people go. And because of that one passageway, we literally had to army crawl. We were at this like single file where you kind of like, you, you almost lost sight of the guy in front of you before you could go. Once we got through that point, it opened up and we could walk and, and talk just like you would down the sidewalk. But before that, yeah, we had to crawl right through. And so I'm watching the guy in front of me go through, and he's just through, and it's my turn to go. And everyone's like, they're all booking ahead. So no one's like waiting behind for the guy who's supposed to make sure you got everyone. That's why you have that guy. Because as long as you, you see him at the end, you know you got everyone. So I start for the, the opening to get down on my hands, hands and knees to crawl through, and my headlamp dies. Not even making it in. And, and there was a moment of panic. A moment, and this, is, this is like in a, a split second, all these different emotions. But, and it goes dark. It goes dark. And I'm like, I'm alone. I'm abandoned. Who's going who's gonna to find me? How, how am I going to do it? All these thoughts going through my head. And all of a sudden, I remember. I have a flashlight that's, a, that's a, about this big. It takes one AA battery. And it's been tied to a string around my neck. And it was hanging tucked under my, my, my sweatshirt. Which, when I was crawling through the water and swimming in the pool, had been submerged for probably about a third of this trip. And I'm like, there's no chance this thing's going to work. But I had hope that there was a way to get out. This light that would pierce into the darkness. I turned that bad boy on. It lit up just enough. I could see where I was going. And I was just booking. I went so fast. I actually kind of went to this one spot that I probably was a little too narrow. And you go to take a breath. And all of a sudden, you're between a rock and a hard place, literally. So you kind of exhale out and say, okay, you get through. And we got, I got through. And it was just fine. It was no big deal. I don't know if I even really told anyone that story except for the fact that, hey, my, my, my headlamp went out. And so I used this little flashlight. But that moment of hopelessness, that moment of abandonment, that moment of being alone in the darkness was so incredible. Now, I don't know about you, but the God that we serve, the God that we love, the God who has come once is coming again for his people far outweighs a dinky little double-A flashlight. So I don't care how much darker this world is compared to that king. Our God is a great God, and there is hope in that God. And that's what his people experienced when the prophet Isaiah said, God with us is coming. This world is broken, but God with us is coming. Take hope. There is hope in the midst of the broken world. God has not abandoned you. No matter what you're going through in life right now, God has not abandoned you. No matter how dark your life seems right now, God has not abandoned you. Take hope in that. He is with you. He is close. I was at this conference. I've got to give credit. Stephen Furtick is a pastor who shared this. and It's not my stuff. It's something he put together, uh, you know, looking at the Word of God and um, he shared this story about uh, Elijah, another prophet of God, had just basically, God's people were just going astray. He called this, this basically uh, a death match between him and all these other prophets of false gods. A God shows up and wins big time. They slaughter all the false prophets. Basically, God just shows up and does this, this amazing thing, and now all of a sudden, uh, uh, the, 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 um, his enemies against him is like, oh, go, go get Elijah. Elijah like runs a, a little girl. And it's like, wait a minute, dude, you just saw God show up in a huge way, and now you're, you're hightailing it, you're running. But I, I can't, I can't, you know, I'd, I'd probably be right there with him, you know, I probably would have ran a long time ago. And so he, he's running from God, and God says, go right, he's going left, and, and God still meets with them and communes with them, and it gets to this point where he ends up at a cave. And Elijah's in, in, in the, the crevice of the cave, and, and uh, God's like, you know, come out, because I'm, I'm going to pass by. 
and there's an earthquake, and there's fire, and all these, all these, the, the wind, all these different things that pass by, and it says God is not in one of those. You know what God was in? God was in the whisper. And I, I love this, this, uh, the truth that, 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 that you see in here. But you know why? One of the reasons why I think God whispered? Simple and direct way to help you sleep. Because God has not abandoned you. He is close to you. Close to the point where a simple whisper will do. Close to the point where we see in Revelations chapter 3, God stands at the door and he knocks on the door of our lives. And when we open that door, he will come in and dine with us and be in relationship with us. He's close enough to knock on the door of our life. Isaiah 51.9 is going to pop up on the screen here. I'm sorry, 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God's not some kind of cosmic T-Rex that can't get to you. His arms are long enough to care for His children. Or His ear dull that it cannot hear. There's nothing that escapes the ear of our Lord. In Isaiah, uh, the Messiah is promised. So there's this God with us, there's this promise of a Messiah in a broken world. And, and so in Matthew, the Messiah is revealed. Wow, okay, we're in 955. All right. Um, you know, this is going to be like a, a football game where it's like the same amount of scheduled time, but it can, you know, who knows what it's going to be broadcast time. So we'll see. We'll dig in here. Um, <coughs> so what, what did, uh, uh, so Isaiah, Messiah, uh, in Isaiah, the Messiah is promised. In Matthew, the Messiah is revealed. What did Emmanuel, God with us, mean to the people of God at the time of Matthew? It meant hope in the midst of their own brokenness. Hope in the midst of their own brokenness. Uh, see, like us today, the Jews uh, ha- have felt the, 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 the results of living in a sinful world. I think we, you know, we see that today, too. Uh, um, but there used to be this point in their history where they were with God, where we as people were with God. You go, we go all the way back to the garden, and we were with God in the garden together. I'm going to do a quick illustration. Some of you may be very familiar with this. Uh, if this is your first time seeing it, then cool. Glad you get to see it. Uh, if if um, you've seen this before, just go ahead and, and talk to your neighbor about how you can do it better, and that's cool. And I'm, I'm encouraging that because I want you to prove it. I want you to go and share this with someone else to show how your, your pictures are cooler. Um, so it used to be you have God. Oh, that's not God. That's man. Can you all see that? No. All right, we got a man here and a circle here for God. On the same page, together. Cool? That's what it was like in the garden. <clears throat> if we go back to that passage we had up on the screen, Isaiah 59.1, go to the next verse, Isaiah 59.2. So 59.1 is saying your God is close. His arms aren't too, sharp, too short. They're long enough to get you. His ears can hear you. And then all of it says in verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not, uh, does not hear. If someone's got a big old fat Sharpie in the, in the back, if you want to toss that out, I appreciate that, because this is cool stuff. So all of a sudden, our iniquities, which is, you could say is our sins, is another word scripture would use for that, causes a separation. So you have man, you have God, they work together on the same page, now all of a sudden, sin the, you know, separates us. We're separated from God because of that. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, 
the people of God throughout history have experienced it. Since Isaiah's time, uh, you know, their land has exchanged hands. They've been exiled. They've been allowed to return, but they're still living under uh, foreign rule. Awesome. That's a beautiful marker right there. Because if we're looking at the people of the time of Matthew, eh, at the time of Matthew, when we're getting this uh, out of Matthew chapter 1, they were under Roman rule. Basically, like if Canada came, took us over, let us still have our land, but said, we're in charge and we get all the goods. Why Canada would do that or how they would win, I don't know. But hey, people like cats, and we don't know how that happens either. <laughs> That's either Adam. All right, so we're separated because of those iniquities. And so now all of a sudden, this God with us, an interesting thing here is that there's kind of the same way Okomo Koinanyo has that, this, this response of the condition of man is the sorrow and the sadness, but this rejoicing in the Savior. When we come face to face with the person of Jesus, it helps us to see really how, how, how short we fall, right? We, we, we just see that, uh, um, man, we, we just fall short uh, of, of the, the, the call in our lives to follow God. We were made to be with God. You know, I heard a joke once, about, a comedian was talking about, you know, can you imagine the, the, the pressure of being James, Jesus' brother? You know, talking to his parents, his parents were like, you know, why can't you be more like your brother? You know, can you, can you imagine the stress of that? You know, but I mean, it's really, when, when you get face to face with Jesus, when you, you meet the person of Jesus for the first time and you see he was, he was perfect, lived a perfect life, that he was God, but he was also man and, and, and fully in both of those, which just boggles the mind, but it's, it's really cool. Um, you, you see how you fall short. And so in this sense, the God with us helps the, the people of the times of Matthew, as well as us here today, helps us to see how we fall short. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because that God with us also provides a way for us to be freed from that. You see, Hebrews 2, 17 through 18, Therefore he, referring to Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation, you know, I rehearsed this like seven times here. Uh, to make propitiation for the, the sins of the people. Basically, Jesus came to make things good between us and God. Uh, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are also, uh, who are being tempted. Jesus came like us, he was born like us, he grew up like us, he lived like us, he was tempted like us, but he did not sin. He did not sin. So fortunately, this reality of God with us also provides a way for us to remain with God because Jesus comes and, and we place our faith in him and we say, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior. We confess that with our mouth and believe that in our heart. We are forgiven of our sins. So even though we see our sin clearer when we see the person of Jesus, we also see God with us that brings a way to, to deal with that sin. So all of a sudden, you've seen this picture before. You get to draw a nice big cross here. Where Jesus bridges that gap. There's nothing we can do to get past that sin. And so this cross we draw on here bridges that gap between man and God. And then we have a way to be with God again. That's good news. That is good news. And that is what God with us would have been for the people at the time of Matthew. We got to, 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 to see firsthand this is that Messiah we've been waiting for. This is Jesus 
the Messiah. He is Messiah for both Jews and Gentiles alike. Gentile just means someone who's not a Jew. Jesus is wisdom. He is Lord. He is the root of Jesse. He is the key of David, the day spring, the king of kings and Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God, uh, Jesus is our great physician. He is the word of God made flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God incarnate. He is a light of this world. He is uh, the hope of this world. He is quite literally God with us. So who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? If we're going to say that there's hope in the midst of our brokenness, which we started with, this, with Matthew 20, there's hope in the midst of our own brokenness, and that hope, his name is Jesus. So who do we say he is? Do we receive that in our own life? Do we acknowledge that to say that, Jesus, you are Messiah? Do we embrace that? Do we live in that reality? Well, that kind of brings us to today. We already saw how there's hope in the midst of a broken world because God has not abandoned us, that God is with us. There's hope in the midst of our own brokenness because Jesus is the Messiah. He is God with us. I hope today that you know that there's hope for an eternity with God because Jesus will come again. There's hope for an eternity with God because Jesus will come again. You know, in light of that truth, we need to live our lives with a view of eternity in mind. There's a, a bumper sticker I saw once that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. Um, while a little crude, little crass, uh, um, I wonder how many of us w- w- would feel that way if all of a sudden Jesus said, all right, we're going home, you know, th- I'm, I'm here again. It's like, oh, wait, but I, I got to do this, I, you know, I, I'm not doing this, you know, all these things that, that you've been talking to me about, and you've been saying, you know, you've been revealing to me in your word as I study, hey, here's some things I want you to steps I want you to take, ways I want you to grow, uh, uh, people I want you to reach out to, that we're like, oh, you know, you kind of caught me off guard here. But let's not be caught off guard. Let's say, yes, we know there's an eternity coming. Let's live with the view of eternity. What does that look like? Well, this Advent Christmas season, let us not simply look back to the first uh, uh, advent of Jesus, the first coming, but let's look ahead to his return, the second coming. This Advent Christmas season, let us not uh, simply, uh, let's not look to the world celebration of consumerism. Let's not fall into how the world would celebrate, but let us uh, uh, share the good news of Jesus. Share stories of how God is working in your life. Invest in people in ways that last. Basically, if you're sure, hey, what's going to last? If if it burns, it's not going to last. These, these structures, these things, these, these possessions we have, you know, nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but they won't last. And so let's make eternal uh, uh, investments, things that will last. Build up people, share the good news of Jesus with people. This Advent season, let us not simply, uh, maybe this is you, maybe it's not. If it's not, then you can set this one aside. But if this is you, let's not simply be a Scrooge and bah humbug about how, how it, we've lost the meaning of, of Christmas. But let us rejoice in the hope of the second coming. Let's rejoice in that hope. Honestly, and, and this, is, this, this isn't my notes, and this is God saying, Steve, this, I'm talking to you right now, and so hopefully this speaks to you as well. Christians, those who say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, we should be some of the most joyous people on the face of this earth. Because our King has come for us and given us a way to be with God in heaven and is coming back to bring an end to all this all the sin, all the brokenness, once and for all. When we realize that, we should be the most joyous people. Man, have I fallen short of that. 
want to close with this. God with us. What, what, what are we going for here? I want to take this. All right. Now I can probably see it a little better. I want to give you an overhead view of what's going on here. Help? Okay. All right. But I do want to give you an overhead view of what's going on there. This paper is still only two-dimensional. Um, so you still have man, and you still have God. And, and so when you have this separation, Jesus came in and gave us a way to God. So you still have this whole section here of sin. Now through Jesus, we can be with God, because he's already conquered sin and death. He's already provided a way for us to go and be with God in heaven. But his work is not yet finished. God is a patient God who is waiting so that more and more people will give their lives to him and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, and they will be in eternity with God. And so when that day comes for Jesus to come again, what's going to happen is this whole center section here is going to get wiped out, removed, and, and so no longer is it this, this one little small path to get through, but we go back to where we were, where you couldn't see anywhere, so I apologize. I'll get a better marker for 11 o'clock. You can ask them how it went. Um, go back to this page where there's nothing in between. That's what we're going back to. The second coming is, is to where it's us and God walking through the garden together, building stuff together, asking him, how was your day? And just being in fellowship together. That's what we're going for. Holy cow, is that exciting. Rejoice, rejoice. God with us is coming so that we can be with God. We're going to have a chance right now to celebrate communion. This is, this is uh, just the way it fell between, uh, we always do it on the first Sunday of, of the month. And uh, when we celebrate communion, we're basically celebrating God with us. That, that first advent that Jesus came a, as a sacrifice for us. But today, when you take that, I want you to also think about what's going on. What happens when we give our lives to Jesus? When we say, you are my Lord and Savior, and what is coming? And the hope and the joy that rests in that. That's how I read for you afterward. Um, here at Meadowland, um, all that we ask to participate in communion is that you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because when you celebrate communion, you're saying that it is by the blood and body of Jesus, his sacrifice, that sin is dealt with. And um, so if you haven't put your faith in that yet, we'd ask that you would just hold off on communion, that you wouldn't participate today, but know that we're glad you're here. Um, you're in a good place as, as you investigate who Jesus is and, and consider finding your hope in him. Um, ushers, if you want to come forward, we're going to pass out the, the elements. Um, hold on to them. And then we will take together. I'm going to pull an audible on you guys back there in the tech team. Can you start, can you play that video again? It might be kind of fitting to play that while we're uh, passing out. Sorry, Dan.
Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to leave with one quick story before we join together in time of worship. As we live in this place where Christ has already come, but he's not yet come again, live with the boldness of the king that you serve and a God that loves you. I had a moment with my daughter where I was trying to have a conversation with her. And if the TV's over here and I'm over here, I'm kind of getting one of these. Yeah, 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 Daddy? Yeah? Okay. Now, I'm not getting the full attention. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to speak it with you, honey. We'll get, we'll get the attention. And we're so frustrated to not be able to have that full attention. And finally I got through what I was trying to communicate, and, and she listened and went on. And I did not change one bit how much I love my daughter. So even though we still struggle in this time of Christ has already forgiven us, but we're still dealing with sin because we still live in a sinful world, it doesn't change how God loves you. It doesn't change that he's moving us toward victory. And so live with the boldness as we rejoice and rejoice because God is with us. Let's worship. Take a moment to reflect and the ushers are going to come forward for the offering. Jesus Messiah 
Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, rescue. 